Welcome everyone to Floor 36 of Corporate Courtney. I am your host, Courtney Johnson. And with Memorial Day passing this Monday came the close of Mental Health Awareness Month. And we show closed it out with a bang. With the first three-day weekend for most people in corporate America, a lot of people have really been on fire about this press for a three-day weekend as a norm and not just a holiday thing. And I've seen on social media a lot of actually scientific studies where people are saying a lot of our employees are a lot more productive after they've had a three-day weekend. And a lot of conversation of the back and forth, would you prefer Fridays? Would you prefer Mondays? And I love it. Anytime that we are cutting back on being in the co- being a cog in the machine, I'm totally down for it. I don't see it happening anytime soon on a large scale just because corporate America drives capitalism and capitalism is the only thing that a lot of our businessmen and women really believe is the key to success in a growing democracy. So I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you guys, but Definitely cool conversation to be having. Definitely interesting to see a lot of different people's views and and the pushback that you can see and where it's coming from and why. I haven't seen anything that really actually argues well that we should have a continuous five-day work week. There's nothing to refute the science that I'm seeing that three-day work weeks actually produce more, but with most micromanagers who mostly run our corporations, they want to see you in seats as long as possible. In fact, we're probably closer to a six-day work week when we are to a four-day work week, but we will see. But also, a very key and interesting piece for black women showing up to their job and protecting their mental health is the queen, Naomi Osaka. Now, for those of you who live under a rock, She was going into the French Open, which is a Grand Slam, so it's a very big tournament. And originally, she had made an announcement that she would not be doing any after-game press. There had been stressors around, you know, having those conversations and being interviewed afterwards, and she just felt like it was a strain on her mental health. She didn't appreciate it, and she was going to opt out. However, the tournament or the actual Grand Slam organization um was saying you know she refused to do it she would be fine for everyone that she didn't actually go to and I think that when she weighed the the risk of her actual triggers to her actual mental health and the money she decided it was worth paying the money and essentially they kind of called her bluff on it and was like you know you either have to withdraw or do these these interviews and On Monday, she announced that she was withdrawing, and it really sparked a very controversial, which is surprising, conversation around mental health and how your job should take precedent over that. I mean, the exact thing that she feared, which was the media taking and spinning this to make her seem like a diva and seeming too good for it, and a lot of 
huge figures were talking down on her like, you know, she's a spoiled brat. And, you know, there are often things a part of your job you don't like to do and you shouldn't get the ability to just skip it. And I really weighed that because there are things in my life in corporate America that I hate to do. I don't love having to sit down and write, you know, emails. But, you know, sometimes that has to happen. So if you're thinking about press interviews as something as a part of the job for someone in the professional athlete world, then, okay, I see where that conversation was going. But then I really wanted to stop and pause and really ruminate on what we were actually talking about. This woman who spends her days flying across a court, making incredible hits, volleys, serves, and does it at an exceptional rate that she can be considered at the top of her game across other fantastic professionals. At the end of the day, when you're growing up and you're playing tennis or any sport for that matter, the whole part of your job is the game. So when we talk about parts of your job that you don't like, I would suspect the parts of her job that she doesn't like is conditioning, weight training, you know, volleys all for the last 13 hours, like something of that sort where your body's tired, you know, you're annoyed by it, but you know you have to do it because it's going to make the game better. It's going to make you better. It's going to make you successful. It's going to make you win. And that's the point of your job. I think the interview part is something that media and fans have become entitled to as a part to drum up excitement about the game but her job is to play the game and her goal is to win so to require that they do these post-game interviews is interesting it feels like something tacked on because a different business feels like it's needed but at the end of the day her low-level job is to do the playing right no one expects me to speak at board meetings for my company because I'm a low, you know, I'm a, I'm a doer. I am the tangible workforce. We hire people up top to do these things. The CEOs and, you know, the C-suite executives, they do a lot of the spinning and the selling. I'm not on social media bragging about my company from day to day, and I don't think anyone expects me to do that. So why are we saying we expect professional athletes to have to do this? Why are we equating this as part of their job and not something as an added benefit. And I get it. You do what you're told. You know, if your boss came in tomorrow and was like, hey, you need to post this on your social media. A lot of us would probably do it. We'd probably ask a lot of questions. We'd probably roll our eyes. We'd probably complain in the break room, probably pinging each other on Slack. Like, can you believe this? But some of us would do it. And some of us would opt out. And some of us would have hard conversations and probably get around it. Because Although there are things in the workplace that I don't enjoy doing, there are things that I have shared that I don't enjoy doing, and there have been things that my managers have worked with me not to have to do. So it's very interesting that someone who makes their organization a lot of money by being stellar at the thing that she signed up to do, and when she's saying that she doesn't want to do this one part, it's interesting that they would give so much pushback. And I think it's also very missed that this isn't just something she doesn't do. This is something that weighs on her mental health. She disclosed that she has high anxiety and depression, and she saw it intensify after winning the U.S. Open in 2018. 
and you may not be a big tennis fan or a sports fan at all, and this isn't a sports podcast, so I don't want to get too far off track, but in her post-game interview after she beat Serena, she apologized. And I don't know what champion you know who apologizes for winning, but she said, you know, that was her idol, and she felt like everyone wanted Serena to win, and she felt kind of like the enemy in her own story, and even though that may have been true for some and not true for others, that's how she perceived it. So she's already shown us from just being herself that there are these things that make her wane and are treated differently in her processing. And for her to come out and say, I don't agree with having to do this and I won't and I'll take my repercussions as they are. And then when that didn't deter her from stopping, they kept increasing the the punishment you know it was almost like you know your mom saying you have to eat all your food or I'm not going to give you anything else and so when you don't do that then it's well now you're grounded on top of it well am I starving or am I grounded because I feel like we're just doubling up so it's more than just not doing a press conference it's then a conversation of how do you value mental health for your employees you know corporations like to do all this talk about how we're a family and we take care of each other and this, that, and the other. But when it came to protecting one of their family members, they let her down. They tried to scare her into doing what she that they wanted her to do. And when it didn't work, they just kept doubling it until she said, I will remove myself from this environment because it is not healthy for me. And whoa, what a statement from someone so young. What a powerful move. And I know a lot of you are probably listening and like, well, I wish I could just quit my job every time I didn't like something. But I think it's more than just quitting a job, right? It's setting boundaries, defining those boundaries and weighing them. Because at the end of the day, maybe it is harder to go find a different job, but maybe that's something that you have to resort to. Maybe more companies should have to lose out on great talent because they don't value mental health. However, I personally, I've spoken about this before, but I also suffer from anxiety and depression and anxiety mostly um, at a day-to-day. And I have had great leadership to support and understand that when it came time. I'm a black woman in corporate America, so it's not something I talk about often. But At the beginning of the pandemic last year, when we were work from home, there was a lot of pressure on me to get a lot of things done and a lot of changes to happen because we were changing the way our supply chain works um, to support what was happening in the pandemic. So I was working long hours. I was working from home and I was starting to get these anxiety attacks and something that, you know, I don't think I had realized is that all of the notifications that I was constantly being bombarded with was starting to increase that level of anxiety. Every time I got a Slack notification, every time I had another email come in, every time I had a Teams message come through, I fell on. I'm not a person who lets email sit. I kind of turn them around as fast as I possibly can. And I like to answer people so they don't think that I'm home dilly-dallying or sitting on the couch eating bonbons I'm actually working so I try to respond to everything but at that time I was just getting so bombarded and overloaded that I had created a trigger that was just my job the actual sound of those notifications was spinning me out of control and I hit a breaking point 
I was literally sitting at my desk in tears. And every time I heard a ding, I shook. I tensed up. I was in overload. And I had to realize, even in the middle of the day, this isn't healthy. I have to do something. I have to make it stop. And so I messaged my manager and I said, you know, I don't like to talk about this. I mean, she was aware that, you know, and when we were in the office, I would take some lunches to go to therapy and have sessions in the middle of the day. So she was aware that I was in therapy, but I don't think she ever knew what for. And I never disclosed it. But I told her, I said, at that point, I said, the actual stimuli coming from my computer is sending me into massive anxiety attacks. I'm not being able to manage it. I'm going to try and call my doctor to see if I can't get this under control. But right now, the only thing that I can think of to help myself is to log out and turn it all off. And she was so supportive. She was like, take as much time as you need. Go lay down, you know, turn on a diffuser. She knows I keep essential oils on my desk. So she knows I'm, you know, I'm a little weird. So, but she was like, turn on your diffuser, call your doctor, try to figure it out. She was like, don't worry about responding to emails. Don't worry about responding to Slack messages. If you need me to come over, send me your address. I can bring you something if you need me to, whatever you need. And I just, I finally let go and let it all come out. And I thought, how supportive. How amazing of this woman to not look at me as an employee, but as a woman struggling with a mental health problem. And I'm very aware that that doesn't happen for a lot of people. And that is so saddening because where I was at at that moment was a breaking point, one that I had not experienced in an office setting. And even though I was home alone um, and it wasn't technically in an office, it was just as to me, unprofessional to have that breakdown. I would have been mortified on top of the anxiety to have have to have done that in an office. But because I had let it get so bad up until, I didn't have any boundaries set. And so I put myself in a vulnerable position. And luckily, I had leadership to give me grace. And after I tried to go to sleep, I calmed down. I woke up to a ton of messages from my manager with YouTube videos on how she self-soothes, um, work that she had done because she had been in school at one point to go into maybe psychology or psychiatry and, you know, was sharing with things with me and, you know, was asking for my personal email in case I didn't want it, you know, discussed over company-owned um, communication systems. And I just thought, I wish everyone in America could have that kind of support when it comes to mental health. And this Naomi Osaka thing really brought that back up for me because I thought, what if the Tennis Federation had said, Naomi, we understand what you're saying, we hear you, and we will work with you to figure out another way to achieve what we want from this. How how much better would that have been? Not only for Naomi, but for the organization as well. Because the Federation is getting a lot of flack about how they didn't prioritize her mental health over some media press. She could have recorded something on her own. She could have made a written statement to a lot of those things. And she also got flack from the media that said, you know, we're nothing but kind to these women. But there have been instances where I have seen in interviews where they really do just drive home to try to make people have a breaking point so they can create a story. And to them, that's their job. 
But it should be my job to be able to say, I'm not going to let you take advantage of me in this situation, especially when I'm in a vulnerable place. I mean, that's why you've got the famous Marshawn Lynch, I'm just here so I don't get fined. He didn't want to do these conversations, yet they were forcing him to do it too. And I've seen Serena sit through plenty of interview where she repeats things back and she's very blunt and honest. But sometimes that's not the personality at hand. And it is exhausting for these people to do it and they push through, but it doesn't necessarily break their mental, right? That's what we're talking about. Are we breaking down a woman to get what we want at a minimal cost instead of appreciating the talent and the task that she is doing that she is comfortable with? So as we move on and we grow as women in corporate America or men for all my listeners, how do you plan to make sure that you're an inclusive manager? How do you exemplify what my manager did for me and take care of humans? Because at the end of the day, your employees or your reportees or whatever they're called in your space, they're humans at the end of the day. They are real people with their own problems, their own health triggers. And we have to start making an accommodation, not just for physical disabilities, but for mental disabilities as well. No, that wasn't something that was originally given as grace in the beginning stages of corporate America. But we also have a lot more talent coming out of people than they did originally in corporate America and innovation and ideas. And there's so many other things that people bring to the table that we need to start assessing what skills are something that we can use and be great and what things that we can protect our our people from. Because that that's what they are. They're our people. And we have to take care of one another. That's the only way you continue to drive that innovation and that talent. You can... You can get so much more out of people by remembering their humanity at the end of the day. And so I just wanted to take floor 36 to drive you to remember that. And I don't think it makes you soft. And I think, yes, just like anything in this world, people will abuse it. And that's okay because I'd rather support someone in their need than be worried about someone abusing it. Because those things can be assessed in their own individual states and times and addressed in their own individual states and times. That's why you're in management. That's why that's what makes you great. And if you're not in management and or if you're just someone who also suffers from mental health disabilities. I want to encourage you not to feel ashamed by them because I definitely am and I struggled with sharing that, making it public, because it is still a little taboo, especially in worlds where a lot of the boomers and Generation X just kind of think of millennials and Gen Zers as snowflakes and babies trying to get participation medals. But they suffered from these things, too. And instead of finding healthy coping mechanisms to be successful, they have found unhealthy ways to deal with it. And so if we can remember that, and have empathy for others, and learn from our own situations and environments. And instead of saying, well, I suffered, so they need to suffer too, we try to have empathy and help others grow. We develop talent, and we do better than the guy before us. 
And that's all I've got this week. So if you have struggles or stories about mental health in the workplace, please send them over to me at the corporate Courtney podcast at gmail.com. Or you can DM me on social media at underscore corporate court. And that's all I've got for you guys this week. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And until next time, toodles.